0: I am Jade Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair here on WORT, and I have a request. Madison Magazine is running their annual Best of Madison competition, and I need you to go nominate A Public Affair as the best podcast Madison has to offer. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Nominations are open all throughout this month and you can nominate us every single day. Now the actual voting doesn't take place till June, but if we're not nominated we can't be voted on. So go nominate us. Again that's tinyurlcom W-O-R-T. Thanks so much and I'm so excited for everyone to know that a public affair is the best podcast in Madison. Six foot six above C level I the mic because I like to take you to another mental level no power frequency radio modulation
1: welcome to a public affair I'm Douglas Haynes your Monday host I'm also joined in the studio today by WRT engineer Andrew Thomas and a public affair producer Jade Isiri Ramos who are going to help me kick off our winter pledge drive today and if you like what you're hearing on a public affair Please do give us a call at 608 256 2001, extension one, to support community radio and radio that reflects our community here in Madison. We'll be talking more about that over the course of the hour. But first, I want to in- introduce our remarkable guest today, the kind of groundbreaking thinker and activist to a public affair regularly brings you for an hour of in depth conversation. I'm joined today by Dr. Sandra Steingraber, who is a senior scientist at the Science and Environmental Health Network. She is also the author of the acclaimed book, Living Downstream, A Scientist's Personal Investigation of Cancer in the Environment, as well as three other books of nonfiction and poetry. Sandra Steingraber describes herself as a carcinogen abolitionist who has long advocated for an environmental human rights movement based on the precautionary principle to protect public health. In the past decade, she's been active in the movement to ban the fracking of natural gas in New York State, the focus of an award-winning 2017 documentary, Unfractured. Today, we're going to focus on Sandra Steingraber's recent article, Gas Stoves, the Fracking Tailpipe in Your Kitchen, which was published last month by the Science and Environmental Health Network. Welcome to a public affair, Sandra. We're so glad you could join us today.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Douglas.
1: We're going to get uh, right into the issue of gas stoves here. Uh, That's our our topical angle into your work, and I know something you've been researching and talking about a lot lately and writing about. Our listeners, you all out there, may have noticed a seemingly sudden rise in news stories about the health dangers of gas stoves over the past couple of months. And your recent piece, Sandra, provides uh, excellent context for this, and we're going to get into the harms of gas stoves, of course. But first of all, why are people talking about gas stoves so much? What precipitated the rise in coverage of the issue?
2: Yeah, so there was a brand new study um, published uh, in January, well, actually, quietly published in December um, and didn't get any attention. Um, and then I was asked by one of the um, principal investigators and authors of the study if I would be a kind of um, standby expert, expert in waiting, I guess, um, and, and because they decided they were gonna write a press release and pitch it to the press, and if um, you know journalists had questions about what the um, meaning of the study was, then I would be available. And I was kind of ready, I do that a lot in my job as a um, public health biologist in service to the public interest. Um, so I was ready to do that and fully expecting that um, I would be trying to uplift some good science, um, that wasn't going to get very much attention, <laughs> but of course that's not what happened. In fact, it broke through so, in such a way that gas stoves, uh, suddenly became, uh, you know, featured on every nightly news show and the gas stove kind of entered the same cultural space as, um trans kids drag queens and ak-47s right it's, it became a a, a hot a, a a cultural object um so we didn't expect that um but this the science behind um the science <laughs> that i was all ready to explain to people um was was that um was the latest in um, a whole emerging body of science that goes back actually 40 years to 1977. And that's the year I graduated from high school. I should say I'm now 63 years old. So that's a lot of science, all very consistently showing that when gas stoves are inside people's homes, kids get sick. And they get sick more often from lower respiratory infections. Um, but in particular, they get sick with asthma. And it not only makes gas stoves not only make asthma worse in children, it actually is a causative. Agent for asthma and so this latest study um, is kind of the cherry on the top of a whole body of other studies all consistently showing these patterns and what this one does is it actually estimates what percent of kids that have asthma got it from the gas stove and they were able to do that by kind of combining public health data with data on who has gas stoves um, because some states like california have a lot of gas stoves and other states like florida have very few gas stoves so when you do all that math what it shows is that um (laughs) something like depending on the state 12 to 20 uh percent of children with asthma are getting it from their gas stoves in other words in some states including like new york um one-fifth of all cases of childhood asthma could be attributable to exposure to air pollutants coming from gas stoves um, which is shocking Um, and so um, yeah so that's just the latest in a whole bunch of studies including other studies that show these some of these same um, air pollutants also cause uh, cardiac problems in adults so it's um, it's a threat to all of us
1: Correct me if I paraphrase you uh, incorrectly, but uh, one thing that really struck me in the article that when you were comparing the current, this most recent study, what you called the bombshell study about gas stoves, uh, comparing the incidence of asthma uh, related to use of gas stoves compared to a smoker, having a smoker in the home, um, that that it's roughly comparable.
2: Yeah. So essentially your risk for getting asthma from a gas stove, if you're a child, is about the same as if you were living with a smoker. So that's the kind of l- level of harm we're talking about. In other words, it's not at all trivial. And I think that the psychological impact on people is profound because the the kind of blue flickering flame of a gas stove and that little click click sound, which is the sound of methane igniting in your kitchen, is a, is um, mostly associated with, with safety, with provision of food. Um, so it's a benign image. I mean, a cigarette now has been we sort of see it as not something that's not benign, but a a gas stove is something kind of comforting, right? And it turns out that that um, benign and benevolent image of the gas stove is actually something that's been carefully curated and created by the gas industry itself. And and I trace some of that history back in the article because it goes all the way back actually to the invention of the light bulb when the gas industry feared that they were gonna lose market share to the electric companies. And so they went all in on gas stoves and, did a whole kind of marketing campaign with sort of influencers, if you will, from the early 20th century, uh, celebrities like Bing Crosby and um, even car- you know Disney cartoon characters talking about now we're cooking with gas as a metaphor for um, making progress and being sort of f- forward-looking and being efficient. And that that Now We're Cooking With Gas slogan was actually coined by the gas industry, but rather than using it in an obvious way as in an advertising jingle, they actually gave it to um, cartoon characters to say, and gave it to Bob Hope and other co- comedians to work into their acts. So it entered the idea that gas stoves were, um, the the best way to cook entered the public lexicon um, in this sort of way we would now understand to be sort of like contemporary, we would say the word influencers, right? Um, Rather than old fashioned advertising. And that was because there was a battle going on throughout the 20th century between these two Goliaths um, that are part of the fossil fuel industry. One is the coal industry, which in the 20th century made most of the nation's electricity and they were eager to sell us electric stoves, and then the gas industry—so um, coal and gas—you know, two different flavors of fossil fuels. The gas industry is very big on trying to convince us that no, it's not the electric stove that's the modern best way, but rather it's it's us, you know. And so these guys were battling it out for market share all the way through the 20th century, and for the most part. What I was able to trace when I looked at the history of this in the article was that the electric stove was really winning because it had the sort of better argument that, you know, there was no smoke, there was no flame. It was just electricity. It's clean. And then right around the 1980s, when um, there was kind of um, a need for uh, electrical energy conservation after the current energy crisis of the 70s, then the gas industry saw their moment to kind of pounce and made it seem that the sort of, best culinary solution was the gas stove. And that's what kind of, so in other words, what we have in our mind about the superiority of the gas stove for cooking really comes from a marketing campaign. And some of the chefs that make those claims, it turns out they're um, in the pocket of big gas too. They're actually being paid or they're they're getting a platform from the gas industry. The gas industry sits on the board of culinary institutes. This is a very interesting part of the study my research that i did for this article to to realize how much um, the gas industry has infiltrated the culinary industry to convince uh not just us the eaters of the food but also some of the top chefs that we have to have gas to cook and, and all the teaching in the culinary institutes if it's done on gas then you know you're you are kind of promote you carrying mm-hmm. it forward to future generations
1: We're going to dive into so much of what you just talked about there in in more detail, Um, the contemporary debate about cooking, the history you just laid out for us about how gas stoves became so prevalent, and exactly what's happening with gas stoves. And um, it's exactly the kind of complex uh, cultural conversation with multiple dimensions that we like to have here on A Public Affair. And to talk more about that here, I'm going to turn it back to... Uh, my uh, colleagues, Andrew Thomas, our engineer, and Jade Isiri-Ramos, our producer today, to talk about a public affair in our Winter Pledge Drive. We're reaching out to you today, listeners, to help support Community Radio. You can give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 1. Uh, but I'll turn it over you, to you now, uh, Andrew and Jade.
0: Thanks, Douglas. We have great news, actually. We had a caller right at the very top of the hour, Patty P from Belleville. Um, you want to read what Patty's favorite shows are, Andrew? Yeah,
3: thank you, Jade. Yeah, Patty P from Belleville. Uh, she called in this morning, gave a donation, and wanted us to know that some of her favorite programming is itself the Monday programming Glo- Global Revolutions uh, with Martine and Dan from 9 to 12, and then yours truly, A Public Affair. Uh, with uh, Douglas, me, and, and Jade. And then just the general music that WORT plays. WORT is such a unique station. It's such a gem here in Madison because you're going to hear that type of uh, socially and politically engaged programming and also music that you're not going to hear on any other radio station.
0: Right, and back to back. It's like, where else do you hear global global music followed by a conversation about gas stoves with, you know an esteemed expert um in in this this topic so we're we're really excited to have people donate i heard a phone call earlier that might mean we've got another one coming in but if you want to um jump on this this train become one of the first people to donate to a public affair this um, pledge drive you can give us a call at 608-256-2001 extension 1 who are our pledge um or the people who are out there uh, answering the phones today. So
3: when you call this morning, you might be speaking with our receptionist Amy or our two other uh, uh, phone call takers, uh, Ricky and Patrick. They are eager to take your call right now. You might even be able to hear some, a little bit of commotion in in the background. The radio station is buzzing this morning. Um, We are here to... Uh, see to make sure that WORT continues uh, strong into 2023. So, give us a call at 608 256 2001, extension one. 1. Yeah, uh, and you can talk to Amy, Ricky, or Patrick.
0: Yeah, and if you're not in a place where you can um, hop on the phone, you can go online really easily. Um, our website is WORTFM.org, and uh, there's a big orange button, I think, is the color of the button. Let me look. I think in. it's big. Yeah, that's that's right. Big and <laughs> big and orange. Yeah. Big and orange. And you can make a donation. It's uh, really seamless that way. Um, it'll we can just take your credit card information or your PayPal, um, and it it makes it all very easy. Um, and again, we haven't had anyone on the web donate to us yet. So you can be the first one to donate to a public affair. Um, and your donations, we really we stretch them far here at uh, W O R T.
3: And one of the things that uh, Jade and I are particularly excited about, because we're usually on the production side of things here, are our new soundboards. Yes. I know and during our last pledge drive, that's what we were really pushing for. And we need to push a little bit more uh, for these new soundboards. So, as somebody who's usually sitting behind this watching Douglas give amazing interviews on a public affair, um, I would like to encourage the folks out there who enjoy our programming, enjoy listening to uh, quality talk radio and quality talk music help W-O-R-T get some new soundboards uh, into our studios.
0: Yeah, um, actually, since the last pledge drive, the... A but like a, a little thing broke on the soundboard, and we had uh, one of the other engineers who happens to own a three D printer print us a, a replacement part. But we are now at the stage with these these soundboards where we're building our own parts. So, um, you know, we desperately need your your donations to help us uh, continue to bring the show to your your ears. Um, so, if you want to donate, go ahead and call six zero eight two five six two zero zero one extension one or you can go online that's w o r t f m dot and hit that orange button to donate um, but i think we're going to go back to douglas let's hear this conversation and um, while you're listening maybe go online make a donation give us a call um, we would love to hear from you
1: thanks jade I'm Douglas Haynes, and you're listening to A Public Affair, and I'm talking today with Dr. Sandra Steingraber, senior scientist at the Science and Environmental Health Network. We're talking about her recent article, Gas Stoves, the Fracking Tailpipe in Your Kitchen. And Sandra, I'd like to uh, talk now about the really remarkable way you frame This essay that's not just about the dangers of gas stoves today or the history of gas stoves, but how what has happened with gas stoves parallels how our culture deals with uh, environmental threats or environmental justice issues and how one of the pioneers on these issues, Rachel Carson, helped you and, by extension, helped all of us to think about them. You write that Rachel Carson, in her 1962 book, Silent Spring, in which she alarmed, raised the alarm about DDT and other pesticides... Um, her first task, you say, was to remind to her readers that dangerous things, when they become popular enough, can assume what she called the harmless aspect of the familiar simply by virtue of appearing everywhere. Tell us more about what Carson meant by this and why this is so relevant with gas stoves and why you decided to bring her into this moment when we're uh, learning more and more about the dangers of gas
2: stoves. Um, Sure. So I consider that kind of a risky way to actually open the essay because uh, the title is very clearly, this is an essay about gas stoves, and I spend several paragraphs talking about DDT right off the top. Um, And the reason I did it that way is that um, in the the um, mid-20th century, DDT was uh, very common, and it was something that was under everybody's kitchen sink. Um, we sprayed the, the baby's blanket wa- with it. It was even in house paint to keep house flies away from your walls and um, And so Carson had to her her writerly task and her task as a biologist in her book Silent Spring that came out in 1962 was to convince her readers that this thing that was so ubiquitous actually had serious public health harms so much so that they just needed to be banned, the DDT needed to be banned. There was no kind of uh, regulatory framework that could um, make DDT safe enough that we could keep using it. Because once it was in the environment, nature had its own way with it. It siphoned its way up the food chain. It found its way into breast milk. It found its way into um, our food supply and also was destroying birds and other predators who um, were feeding on the On the uh, dead and dying insects and so on, and and it made the pesticide um, the need for pesticides even worse because as the predatory insects, the spiders, got poisoned, then the next um, round of of pest outbreak was even worse, and so um, so I wanted to remind readers that we have. Um, banned things like DDT and smoking on airplanes and lead paint, things that um, simply can't be regulated into safety, and ask the question whether gas stoves, um, as common as they are, might not belong in that uh, club of things.
1: What you just said there about things that cannot be regulated into safety, that is so important and so that idea seems so central to your whole vision of an environmental human rights movement. Um, tell us more about um, why we would identify certain things that may be ubiquitous in our daily lives that um, need to be treated differently than maybe other kinds of things that can be regulated. How? What are? What is so all-pervasive about their impacts that makes them um, need to be treated with that sense of um, we can't just put some regulations, but we need to ban these things?
2: Right. Well, let's just talk specifically about gas stoves for a minute. And, and why they're so bad. So whenever fossil fuels are lit on fire, um, whether it's coal, oil, or gas, the air around the flame heats up so high that nitrogen and oxygen in the air actually combine to form nitrogen oxides. And this just is un- an unstoppable consequence of lighting a match to your gas stove or uh, it happens in the tailpipe of your car, it happens at a coal burning power plant and so on. So nitrogen oxides then um, turn into nitrogen dioxide in the atmosphere. And we breathe um, a pint of atmosphere with every breath. So two cups of that atmosphere go into our lungs. And what nitrogen dioxide does at that point is really significant. First of all, it's not very soluble in water. So it's not captured by our nasal passages or our sinuses. So it has free passage to go all the way down to the business end of our lungs, where in these alveoli where the gas exchange actually happens um, it's very delicate as you can imagine because oxygen has to be swapped for carbon dioxide across this very delicate membrane that's when your red blood cells grab onto that oxygen and ferry it to all the cells of your body and in those kind of spongy spaces are lots and lots of immune cells as you can imagine because every time you breathe in, if there's any um, viruses or bacteria in the air, they're gonna end up down there at the bottom of your lungs too. And so we have this whole kind of well-regulated militia of immune cells that occupy these spongy spaces where gas exchange occurs every time we inhale. All right, so if there's nitrogen oxide in the air you breathe because your gas stove is making it in your kitchen while you're cooking, then you're gonna inhale those and they go all the way down to the bottom of your lungs um, because they're not water soluble. And once they get down there, they're a very powerful cellular poison. And the first thing they do is knock out the immune cells that are occupying the alveoli of your lungs. So now you are more susceptible to flu, to lower respiratory infections, to bronchitis and so forth. Secondly, they create cellular damage uh, in those lung cells in a way that uh, creates spasms like bronchial spasms um, and, a, and uh, causes inflammation all of which can lead to uh, asthmatic conditions in the in the lungs um and so um can we mitigate that away i mean that's the first thing to ask right whenever that we identify an environmental problem the question is can we come up with a set of rules that make the risk sort of trivial for most people or is this something that's just inherently dangerous and with gas stoves it turns out you can turn on a vent you can turn on your fan So if you have a hood over the range and you turn it on, that should be able to, well, the question is, can it suck up enough of those uh, nitrogen dioxide molecules and send them to the outside air so you don't breathe them in as you're cooking or your kids who might be in the kitchen with you as you're making dinner aren't breathing them in? And the answer is not really, not practically. To get nitrogen dioxide out of the air, first of all, your, your range hood has to vent to the outside air. It can't just recirculate the air inside your house. Um, And a lot of stoves, especially in New York City, don't have those kind of range hoods. And then secondly, you'd have to only use the back two burners of your stove. And then thirdly, the motor on the fan would have to be high enough that you actually can't, the sound would be so loud that you can't have a human conversation comfortably. Um, and, And that's something that professional chefs deal with all the time in commercial kitchens because... It's an occupational hazard for them, so they have to have powerful range hoods, and those motors are so high that they risk hearing loss. So imagine in your own kitchen having a motor so loud that you're risking hearing loss in order to mitigate nitrogen dioxide in your your kitchen airspace. Besides, you know, not wanting to expose yourself to those decibel levels, like, do I want to go deaf or do I want to get asthma, right? Those shouldn't be our only two choices. But also, as a single mom myself, when I was cooking with young kids around, (laughs) you can't um be safe uh if you can't have a human conversation you have to be able to talk to your kids while you're cooking you have to be able to hear if they're choking on a raisin sitting next to you on the floor um, or if you want to help them with their homework at the kitchen counter while you're cooking like all the conviviality and the fellowship that go along with creating a meal in the kitchen requires human conversation so if the only way to mitigate a known hazard of gas stoves is through a motor fan, motor driven fan that's so loud that no one can talk and we're all risking lo- losing our hearing and that's not a solution. Happily, that's, those are, that's not our choice, right? We can actually move away from fossil fuels altogether, which we need to do anyway because of the climate crisis and move to a different technology. And happily, our choices isn't these aren't these old fashioned coil stoves, which no one likes very well, um, I actually cook on one myself, and I think I'm a pretty good cook. Um, there's ways you have to adjust for the timing of it all. But there's this fancy new kind of stove on the market called an induction stove, which actually uses magnetism and mimics the uh, this kind of precision that gas offers us the high temperatures that you need to sear things in a way that old-fashioned electric stoves can't. So the, I think, from a public health point of view, um, since we have a superior technology, we simply need to incentivize it and happily that's now being done as part of the inflation reduction act um, with tax rebates and and so forth to make this a, um, a reasonable choice of course if you're an apartment dweller um, you just cook on whatever stove your landlord provides you um, nobody's out there shopping for stoves um, and so there needs to be a recognition that uh, a sort of the need for a whole systemic switchover, so that we're electrifying Um, buildings that people live in and we're not anymore lighting fossil fuels on fire inside the places where we live whether it's a furnace kicking on with a gas uh, flame or your uh, hot water heater or your um, stove what we now understand is there's so much indoor smog created when we light fossil fuels inside our homes that it's it's turning our homes it's like living inside of a garage and there's better technology that we can use. There are heat pumps, there are induction stoves. We can electrify buildings and we can start with new buildings. So we, we prohibit gas hookups in new buildings, have all kind of new construction, be all electric, and then we can go back and retrofit the, the old buildings. Um, so that's what I think is um, kind of a reasonable solution. So there's a technical solution, but underneath the technical solution is this human rights um commitment, right? I mean, um, we shouldn't have to make kids sick in order to feed them dinner. Uh, That should not be the price for cooking food, is to an an asthmatic child who's struggling to breathe who you have to take to the ER. And as the mom of a kid with asthma myself, I know exactly what it's like to wake up to a kid who's struggling to breathe and wondering if you're going to have to shovel the ice off the car and, and make a trip to the ER or whether you know you can risk him staying home um so that's um expensive problem to have a kid with asthma is thousands of dollars a year just in direct medical costs it's a scary problem to have and it's one that we can avoid through better technology so if if we have the technology that doesn't create this problem then i would argue we have a moral imperative to embrace it
1: you lay out um, the case for that alternative technology so well there, Sandra, and I want to talk a little bit more about what you were talking about right there at the end of this, the human rights dimensions of this, which you also lay out really well in your essay, Gas Stoves, the Fracking Tailpipe in Your Kitchen. You follow Rachel Carson's lead at the end of the essay and make this dual case, both for an alternative technology and for human rights. Um There are a lot of equity and environmental justice issues wrapped up in this issue of gas stoves, and they've sparked a lot of debates, both among cooks, and we can talk about that in a few minutes, but also among um, people who care about the people who are most impacted uh, by this issue. Um, Obviously, gas stoves don't affect everyone equally. Can you tell us more about um, the equity dimensions of the issue? and why that that makes the human rights case even more urgent?
2: Right. So um, kids of color, especially African-American kids, have much higher rates of asthma than white children. And, and there are many reasons for that, but um, gas stoves is certainly on the list. And that's because um, of poverty. Um, and um, in substandard housing, um, kitchens are smaller, and gas... Uh, when gas is burned nitrogen dioxide can build up to even higher levels um and typically in let's say public housing you don't have the high-end kind of range hoods that are venting um to the outside world um uh, furthermore um in places where um power goes off and on and is not reliable people rely on their gas stoves to heat their homes which is a real uh danger and we saw that recently I'm, i'm i live in upstate new york over christmas um, the terrible storm in Buffalo knocked out out power, um, but communities of color and low-income communities were hurt most and had the most unreliable power, and so that puts those kids at risk if their parents choose to try to heat their homes um, in the meantime without electricity um, by by burning their um, you know turning on the gas oven. Um, so, so it's a it's a gas stoves are an issue of environmental justice. Um, But we also have to consider that if we're embracing all induction stoves, then what about unreliable electric power in those communities who might have to rely on their stoves every now and then um, for, for heat. Um, So I raised that issue too. In other words, these things um, aren't, aren't. Easy to parse. Um, it it means that we need more equity in grid reliability and um, and things like that. So it's um a, it's a, I think it's a systemic issue. Mm-hmm.
1: There's also an equity dimension to the debate around induction stoves. When I say debate, I mean people's reception of them. I guess uh, people's openness to them that you cover towards the end of your essay as well. Um, There has been a a response among some, as you said earlier, cooks in particular, who make this appeal that their cuisine depends on fire and and a live flame and um, certain representatives of certain um, ethnic groups. Uh, have argued that um, to eliminate gas, the possibility of cooking with gas would would affect their ability to create their cuisine. And this played out in Berkeley, uh, in particular, where um, there was an ordinance that had already passed or maybe proposed to eliminate new gas connections. Um, at any rate, can you tell us a little bit more about how that's playing out among the cooking world and um, where you come down in response to that?
2: Yeah, so I looked at that pretty closely in the last half of the essay. Like, what what is about what is it about this claim that we need flames to cook with? That that it somehow it adds some kind of intangible, um, magical ingredient. Is the, is bringing the food to the flame? Right? Is that a true thing or not? And it gets complicated because um, certain kinds of cuisine. Um, especially asian cuisines and some latin american cuisines rely on um, searing and charring and there's certain kind of flavors so the question is are we really saying because cuisine matters you know cuisine and flavors of food are part of of culture so if non-western culture has a cuisine that requires flames then are we what does it mean to say we're going to do away with those flames so i really wanted to know if if that was true or not and and i uh along the way um talked to a lot of chefs and watched a lot of cooking videos and um found that in fact there are uh whenever there was a kind of dish that the claim was you know oh you can't make this without an open flame it turns out there is an an, an electric solution to that um so there are even round bottom walks that can fit into a kind of concave um, induction stove. Um, And the chefs who have adopted them are really happy about that, not only because it protects their hearing, but also because the kitchens don't get so hot. The uh, cooking with magnetism um, confines the heat just to the food, there's not a lot of excess heat. Um, So the um, exhaustion of cooking all day in a really hot kitchen is really mitigated. And so I discovered, Uh, chefs and I embedded a uh, cooking video actually in the in the essay um, from an amazing um, Asian chef um, who is a a devotee of the uh, electric induction stove Um, so I think um, as I looked further into the other chefs who claim nevertheless um, we need fire um, it turns out uh, a lot in a lot of cases that those um, spokespeople are actually paid influencers to gush about gas stoves um, and they some of these chefs are part of what's called the blue flame alliance which is something that was created by the gas industry who are getting behind certain chefs in order to really hold on to their market share so i became convinced at the end of look doing all this research and looking at all this that the the gas industry sees that the gas stove as the thing that they really want to promote, not because it burns so much gas, because only a tiny percentage of all the gas that's burned is used to cook food. But instead, if they can keep us believing that there's no substitute for gas or something sort of magical and mystical about the gas flame, then we'll have to have a gas hookup in our in our kitchen. And once you have a gas hookup for your stove, Um, it's right there to run your hot water heater it's right there to run your furnace or your or your gas dryer and that's where they can um, sell you a lot of gas but it's kind of the as i see it the gas stove is something that people have emotional feelings about that the gas industry is taking advantage of and because we want our gas stove then we get all the other stuff too nobody really has emotive feelings about their hot water heater nobody cares they just want to turn on the shower and have it be hot but people have these feelings about stoves and they're Reluctant to switch. So, if the gas industry can keep us, uh, keep the romance with the blue flame going, then they know they can get all this other gas into our houses for furnaces and heating water and other things like that. So, this big kind of move toward building electrification is really happening. And I think the gas industry is running a kind of uh, reactionary campaign um, by really um, playing around with people's emotional feelings about their stoves.
1: You're listening to A Public Affair here on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with Dr. Sandra Steingraber about her article, Gas Stoves, the Fracking Tailpipe in Your Kitchen. I'm going to turn it back to my colleagues now, Jade Isiri Ramos and Andrew. Uh, our engineer, to talk about our winter pledge drive and the value of community radio and the kinds of conversations we're having here on A Public Affair.
0: Hey, thanks, Douglas. Unfortunately, we are still waiting for y'all to to light up the phone lines here. Um, so you gotta got to give us a call. That's 608-256-2001, extension 1, um, to get either Ricky or who are other people pledge ricky and patrick we have ricky and, and patrick amy. and amy standing yeah.
3: aside. yeah we got a, a little less than 17 minutes we're aiming for four more uh, folks to call in make a pledge folks who tune into wrt who tune into a public affair um we are looking for folks to call in and help us reach uh five five folks uh during the uh 12 o'clock hour
0: yeah, so we we only have one um, caller so far. We need four more of you to either give us a call or go online to wortfm.org and hit that orange button. If you go online, uh, you're gonna be able to see all of the different um, really cool gifts that we have we have for you this time around. Um, we have a new sticker, which is also a new patch. I I also see that the the stickers are they're doing a sticker pack. So you can get three stickers. You don't have to decide now between your car and your water bottle and your laptop. You can put one on each.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm particularly particularly interested in this wart embroidered patch. This is at the thirty five dollar level. It's a very cool kind of retro looking patch. It's got a, a retro looking microphone on it, and it's black, orange, and ivory colors. It's got wart eighty nine point nine FM on it, Madison, Wisconsin, and established nineteen seventy five. So for all the punks who want it on their <laughs> uh, dark denim jackets or for all the hippies uh, or for just all the other wart listeners out there. Um, we got this really cool patch at the $35 level. At the $100 level, we have the same image of the patch printed on three different long sleeve T-shirts. I feel like it's finally starting to warm up in Madison a little bit. We can lose some of those heavier coats and we can start putting on a little bit lighter uh Lighter layers, and we have uh, these shirts in black, blue, and olive green with the wart patch, and that again is at the $100 level.
0: Yes, you can uh, either call us at 608 256 2001, extension one, or you can go online at WORTFM. And if we could just get four more of you um, to to go either to the website or give us a call this hour, we'll actually reach our goal, Um, which, you know, that will start us off on a really good a a good uh, trajectory for the rest of the. The pledge drive. I think.
3: Yeah. For those just tuning in, this is our first our first day of our winter pledge drive. So we got a couple more weeks of this. So we're trying to start today off with a bang. And you know, as I've as I've been sitting listening to Douglas and Sandra talk about gas stoves, one of the thing that I one of the things I really enjoy about a public affair is that we have the time to really dive into issues that I would probably only otherwise see as headlines uh, coming across my phone or my or or across my desktop. But what I love about a public affair is we have the time and space to um, talk to scholars, talk to academics, talk to activists, talk to politicians and really dive in to these critical issues that could otherwise easily be overlooked.
0: Yeah, and I think um, this show really gives us the opportunity to challenge our own thinking as well. Um, I think there's something about listening to a host who you trust and you come back for every week um to to bring you something and and think critically about it as you listen to the conversation also you know a public affair usually we you know we give you the opportunity to talk with these really amazing guests that we we bring on where else are you able to find an hour every single weekday um, where you can talk to really great guests uh, but I think it's about time for us to go back to Douglas. So let's go uh, just one more time. The phone number here is 608-256-2001, extension uh, 1, or online, wortfm.org. And I need four of you to do that before the hour's up. And we'll be back in about uh, 10 minutes to tell you <laughs> tell you which four of you made made that happen for us.
1: Thank you, Jade. You're listening to A Public Affair here on W.R.T. 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking with Dr. Sandra Steingraber today, renowned author, uh, environmental human rights activist, scientist. And we're talking about her article, Gas Stoves, the Fracking Tailpipe in Your Kitchen. And there's so much territory we could cover, still, Sandra, Um but I want to take a moment just to follow up on, on the pledge drive and, and talk a little bit about the messaging behind uh, your um, story and how you see um, community radio, media playing into getting out the message about gas stoves and other environmental justice issues. You're a renowned science writer. Um, you've been doing this a long time, trying to raise public awareness about environmental justice threats Um, what to you is the value of a community space like this and then also um, how do you let's talk a little bit about the effectiveness of different strategies for creating cultural change around environmental Mm. justice issues
2: sure well I think community radio is everything Um, I'm a scientist in the public interest so I let the um, members of the community Um, especially frontline communities who are fighting oil and gas extraction, I consider those to be my clients and and my bosses. So they tell me um, uh, what what kind of science they need in order to be informed and to let that information be part of their resistance to um, a polluting industry in their community. So I take my marching orders from members of frontline communities, empowering them to be able to stand up Um, and speak um, truth to power in in the case of a public hearing where they need to be um, informed about an issue in order to testify. Or I also call it speaking truth to powerlessness, which means going into low-income communities, communities of color who are really disproportionately affected by fossil fuel projects. Um, In this case, it would be low-income housing where where gas stoves are really um, creating a disproportionate risk of, of childhood asthma a- and because I'm in I'm serving those frontline communities um, how do I get the message out no there's no better mechanism than community radio um, to be kind of be the me- the megaphone for the work I do in in the service of um, community health
1: you lay out thank you for that um, you lay out the case for how the gas industry has used cultural media, For a long, long time in your essay to influence people and create this perception that gas stoves are this modern, um, very harmless and should be ubiquitous appliance. And it sounds like from what we were just talking about before the break, um, that is continuing right now the gas industry is using as you said influencers in the cooking industry for example to continue this message that there's something essential about gas stoves to modern life Uh, how do you see your role in creating a counter message and um how is the gas industry dialoguing with your counter message and the others (laughs) joining you what what what's their response
2: Um, Well, they just keep doing what they're doing. Right. Uh, And um, they uh, continue to promote what I consider outright disinformation that gas is somehow a clean burning fuel because there's no visible smoke. Right. So unlike burning a lump of coal where you get a lot of soot, you can light gas on fire and you don't see anything. But that doesn't mean that nitrogen dioxide isn't being made. Um, so you're getting all this um, indoor smog that you can't see or smell, but it is the the proof of its harm is in the wheezing sound of, of kids. So it's causing um, health problems anyway. So uh, I'm just paying attention to, you know, the way the language is used to um, uh, sort of fool us into thinking that um, something that's invisible is is necessarily clean and that blue as a color of flame is somehow um, benevolent and calming and, um, and all the rest. So, um, yeah,
1: so um, paying attention to the ways that they use words in the gas industry, for example, to create this kind of benign image of the technology. Um, and one of the things that was so interesting in your essay is to see that play out over time with celebrities promoting and pushing that that benign image. Um, but of course, as you say, I feel like we would be remiss to not pay attention to where this gas is coming from in this uh, episode here today. Uh, as you say in your essay, this is the burner tip of a gas. The burner tip of a gas stove is the literal terminus of a pipeline that begins at a fracking well. And you've spent Correct. a lot of time talking about and working on the issue of fracking. Um Tell us more about where the fracking industry is at right now, and whether this really is the tip of an iceberg. You said there's a lot of momentum now to end gas installation in new buildings. Um, do you see this changing, and the whole conversation changing quickly now, and and that it is, being is a death knell for the yeah. the fracking industry?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure um, how it's going to land. It's a it's um, a, bat- a real royal battle right now. In New York State, um, New York City has already banned gas hookups in um, new construction, and we're trying to create a statewide uh, ban. Um, And then uh, Los Angeles and other places on the West Coast have done the same. And I think it—you know—it's—it is that transition is happening, but we're so late in the game of the climate crisis that it has to happen a lot more rapidly. So I'm one of the scientists kind of pushing for more rapid deployment. Of induction stoves and heat pumps and things that don't rely on burning fossil fuels inside um, inside our homes. And so, as for fracking, um, I think it's important to always remember whenever you hear the whoosh of your furnace kicking on or see a gas flame, um, that there is a continuous pipeline from that point of the flame in your house all the way to the well, uh, the fracking well that's blasting the gas out of the ground. And most Of our gas now comes to us by this what was once a kind of unconventional technique of extraction which is fracking which is essentially to say that we've burned through all the easy to get gas that used to be kind of under the ground in big balloons trapped between different geological strata we've already burned through all that so the remaining gas bubbles that we are burning in our gas furnaces and our stoves come from inside the shale itself and they're trapped in there like little tiny bubbles kind of like a spill of champagne, only methane, trapped inside rock. And to get them liberated out of that underground strata and come to the surface, you have to blow up the bedrock uh, shale layer using um, water and chemicals. And this is the so-called fracking operation. And so uh, Wisconsin's role in all this, um, because there's not a lot of shale in Wisconsin, but there is a lot of sandstone, especially in the Western part of the state. And so uh, sand is used Uh, uh, is an inherent part of the fracking process because um, essentially the water is the, is breaking up the rock through immense um, pneumatic pressure. But then the sand is being blasted into the cracks created by the water to serve as kind of doorstops, holding the cracks open so the gas can fly out. So the sandstone bedrock of Wisconsin is itself being blown up. And the state of Wisconsin, especially around Eau Claire, um, is being kind of turned inside out, all of these kind of Um, geological formations that you see are being um, kind of blown apart and the sandstone is turned into fracking sand. And then it's now, sand is Wisconsin's number one export uh, to other states uh, where there is shale and it's being then, um, (laughs) Wisconsin sandstone is being broken up into sand grains and then being pumped down into the shards of other states bedrock in order to get a fossil fuel out. And, and there's a lot of damage to Wisconsin farming um, and to the people in Wisconsin who have to breathe this, the um, the dust, the silica dust so created, um, in order for this whole fracking project to go. That's the beginning of the project. The end of the project is in your kitchen while you're cooking your dinner. And there's a continuous pipeline that connects the well to your stove.
1: You just did such a marvelous job there describing... Um the ways that we're not only changing the air with the fossil fuel industry but we're reshuffling our geology as well in the process it's true yeah. right yeah you
2: know, so we have got this climate crisis in the atmosphere and then we also have this other crisis going on uh yes as above so below right so below our feet we're, we're literally blowing apart the shale bedrock that is the kind of holding up um the earth that we wa- walk on with risks to our drinking water um, and uh, the earthquake risks, there's all kinds of things that happen when we disintegrate um, geological layers with, to the, in this desperate attempt to get the last wisps of methane, so-called natural gas, out of the ground. So it's really way past time to get off gas and um, end this long love affair we've had with gas stoves and p- pursue a kind of full bore affair um, with uh, electric technology and kind of fall in love with an induction stove.
1: Thank you. There's our call to action from Dr. Sandra Steingraver today with um, so many different cultural dimensions, ecological dimensions, health dimensions. And thank you for unpacking that for us. We've been talking about Dr. Sandra Steingraver's article, Gas Stoves, a fracking tailpipe in your kitchen. She's a senior scientist at the Science and Environmental Health Network, renowned author. Thank you again for joining us today, Sandra.
2: My great pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm going to turn it back for our last couple minutes here to Jade Isiri Ramos and Andrew in the studio to talk about uh, our winter pledge drive. Please give us a call, folks. There's still time and help support a public affair. My name is Douglas Haynes, and uh, I love bringing you this show every week and creating conversations like this. Jade.
3: Yeah, this is actually Andrew. Thank oh, Andrew. you, Douglas. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we've we got some good news in those final moments there while we're hearing uh, some really kind of uh, difficult and troubling news about the environment. One of the things that I love about WORT is that despite these like... Uh, challenging issues that we're trying to deal with. Something that WORT constantly reinforces is the importance of community and the importance of coming together to solve problems um, that are uh, politically and socially and environmentally pressing. And so Jade's got a little bit of good news for us.
0: I do have good news. Uh, We had a donation from Estee Denor who happens to be one of our other hosts of a public affair uh, who came in and the final moments to, to support our program um, because you know, we, we here at a public affair, we support each other and uh, we big shout out to SD.
1: Yes. Thank you. SD. Um, thank you. SD. Yeah. And thanks for your show.
0: So if you want to, want to be like SD and then our other pledge during the hour, Patty, uh, You can go online at wortfm.org and make a donation there. Uh, You have just about a few more minutes for it to count for our program, or you can still give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 1.
3: And you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We are in our first day of our winter pledge drive, and we are wrapping up uh, our Monday show of a public affair with... um, uh, an interview with uh, Dr. Sandra Steingraber and um, Dr. Douglas Haynes uh, Douglas, any
1: any final uh, any final words as we uh, as we wrap up today? I just think that this uh, show today was a great example of what we try to do here on a public affair. take uh, something that's either in the news or a literary cultural phenomenon and unpack it for you and create a real in-depth conversation and I'm grateful as always to uh, uh, Dr. Steingraber and all our guests who will help us make that possible, and we're grateful to you, our listeners, as well.
0: One more time, that's 608-256-2001, extension 1, or go online, wortfm.org.
3: Up next, we got some headlines from BBC News, and then after that, we will be tuning in to Madison Bookbeat. So stay tuned, folks. You devil,